Australians get a bit of a bad rap. Um, they're, they're doing a, a really important role. So if they're, if if we determine they need to stay in, they're staying in. We're not doing it to punish you. We're, we're doing it because the, we need the fluid to come away. They're very very thin. It's a soft silicon, so they don't stick. And I think people get, you know, and, and rightly get anxious about it. But I think the anxiety is due usually way in excess of of actual how inconvenient or painful they are. Hey Refam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast calming your nerves against the surgery scaries. This week, we're on a mission to redeem the poor drainage tubes image while also covering the heavy hitters, like... What are the chances of waking up during surgery? What happens when you get your period on D-Day? And the far and away most common question we get, what are the chances of dying during surgery? Welcome, RV KT. We've done a couple of different surgery-specific things or kind of like, you know, generalist FAQs. Um, But today we're specifically doing concerns. I've done some crowdsourcing from our receptionist, surgical coordinator, nurse. Um, the first answer of everyone's lips, um, Dr. Taylor's included, was, am I going to die? Which is a heavy start, um, yeah. but let's let's unpack it. <laughs> that is a common uh, concern that people have coming in, isn't it? So do you want to like elaborate on that a bit more? Sure. Uh, there's virtually no chance of dying. Um, dying under anesthetic is an extremely rare event. Um, and it's not really this patient population or this type of surgery. So it'd be sicker patients, airway issues, uh, bigger operations like heart surgery, brain surgery, road trauma. The type of surgery we're doing, I mean, never say never, but uh, it's, it's just so unlikely. Like I can't even think of another case with other surgeons at any point in 20 years where where that's happened. So anaesthetics are now extremely safe. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, the monitoring is better. Um, so um, they can watch things more. We're better at being able to keep patients' temperatures at the right level, um, better at fluid management. Um, I think probably from a surgical technique point of view, people maybe weren't as conscious with blood loss and so they're a bit rougher with how they do things. And so Kim and I both use techniques which minimises blood loss. So uh, I, that's not – it's not even something I discuss with patients as a risk. So Kim, when they say they're concerned about dying, is that about anaesthetic kind of specifically? It's not like a wound care or anything like that? No, I think it's um, in particular patients that have never had – any type of operation before right. um, and, and as Richard said our patient population are generally um, young and fit and healthy um, if patients have had previous surgery it would be something like a cesarean section where they're actually awake for it um, or minor procedures like getting their wisdom teeth or their tonsils out um, if that and right. so they're often uh, mums as well so they come in for their consult and they're like you know like I'm really keen for the surgery but the only thing I'm terrified about is going under right. and you know what can potentially happen and can and you know I don't want to I don't want to die and leave my kids without a mum so it's that mum guilt a bit as well right, and, right. and again I, whenever I had that um, discussion it's like yeah um, it would be a very 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 bad day for everybody and um, particularly the patient yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It, it's just as Richard said, it's it's not something that we would even bring up, and we wouldn't bring that up in conversation as uh, when people ask. What, what are the complications that I need to know about? Yeah, right, right. Um, kind of a different side of the same coin. People are worried about if they wake up during surgery. Is that something that commonly happens? So, yeah. So, again, as Richard had just said before, the, the anaesthetic techniques have evolved significantly over time. Um, back, back in the wee, wee d- days, a bit of chloroform on, some, um, on a rag and they're asleep but totally uncontrolled um, so the surgery we do is largely superficial so it's on skin which is not particularly painful as opposed to bowel and heart oh is that why they wake so up not yeah. not so much it, it, the anesthetic that they need to stay asleep mm-hmm. is um, pretty consistent because it's not getting like spikes of painful stimuli and right, so gotcha, they gotcha. can have a relatively light anaesthetic mm-hmm. um, because we also put local anaesthetic in. So there's sort of two sides of um, what the anaesthetists do. And one is keeping you asleep mm-hmm. and the other is um, helping with pain. So right. um, the combination of those things. Um, and the other thing that they do, not all of them, but a number of anaesthetists do is a special monitoring called BIS. I have no idea what it stands for, but I think B is brain. Um, <laughs> because, no, like, genuinely, they put this strip with dots across their forehead and connect it to um, the machine, and it comes up with a number, I think, out of 100. Mm-hmm. And um, they know that below a certain amount, the patient is absolutely asleep. Um, right. And so waking up un- while, while you're asleep is, is really not a thing either. Um, and I think... But it's a fun thing to say <laughs> to an anaesthetist because oh, okay. there's nothing that upsets them more. Saying what? The patient's I think the patient's up. waking up. Oh. They get very, very upset. Yeah. And right. if any of them are watching, it is one of my favourite things to say. I feel like I've been with you in surgery and I see it quite a lot or like because you're like breathing quite fast here. How are we going? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, I've been told off many a time for saying patient's waking up. They go, no, they're not. <laughs> it, right. And I think in, in over – 20, 20, more than 20 years of mm. being in the operating room. Um, I've had one patient, and this was a very, very long time ago during my training, that after their surgery said I could hear what people were talking about. And yep. that was a um, major burns patient, and so um, under anaesthetic for quite a long time, and wow. it was a whole different sort of a scenario. And and he wasn't actually particularly distressed right. by it. Is and also, a young did you guy. fact check that? Because um, if he's like, I could hear whatever I was saying. Yeah, yeah like, no, what was that? yeah. Um, and there, there was there was a conversation there. We, yeah, right. we, there's no way they could have been made up from right, right, from right. my memory yeah. at the time. And the anaesthetist then go and have a chat with him, and he was actually he was not too distressed about it. And he because he was a Burns patient. Yeah, he's like, he I've had been doing way worse, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to have many more surgeries after that as well. Right. And so they they knew that that was sort of on his record and to make sure. Yeah, okay. And it never happened again for him, like, you know, maybe 10 more surgeries. Right. The, the other thing with anaesthetic risk is a lot of our patients who've ba- had bariatric surgery, mm-hmm. uh, and I often put this to patients, that the risk from that operation and that anaesthetic is way higher than the surgery with us because obviously they're overweight and that's why they're having the surgery. But then it's also um, surgery in amongst all their their bowel and they've had to had a 
usually an anastomosis or a joint between two parts of their bowel so you can have a leak. And then there's a whole lot of organs that can be, you know, accidentally uh, traumatised, which, you know, doesn't happen with what we're doing because we're above all the muscle. Right, right, right. Okay. But I didn't know we were going to talk about bowels, honestly, so <laughs> early in. Um, another common concern is, you know, how long people are going to be immobile, especially people with children, yeah. um, and, like, how they're going to look after them. So what's – is that – kind of a valid concern or what do you tell people when they bring that up? I mean, clearly it depends on the operation. So a breast reduction, breast augmentation, you're not going to be immobile at all. Um, The tummies and body lifts, uh, the most uh, uncomfortable part is the tummy and you you can't stand up straight. So, you you know, you're just bent forward and you sort of stooped as you're walking and that varies. So I kind of say a third are kind of okay at a week, a third are at two weeks and a third are at three weeks and the other third, maybe four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So most people definitely by three weeks are up walking upright. Um, but in terms of mobility, I get I we get patients walking on day one. So um, you know, if if you're if I come in on day two and you haven't been walking, um, uh, you will be told <laughs> that you should be walking because there's a whole lot of important yeah. reasons to walk. So. Um, firstly, if the more immobile you are, you, you become stiffer. It then becomes harder to walk. Um, when you're walking, you're using your f- leg muscles, so you decrease your risk of getting deep vein thrombosis, which is a, um, a serious complication. Um, and you know, when you're walking around, your lungs aerate better, so less chance of getting pneumonia. Um, and and you know, I mean, if you take it to an extreme, if you just stay in bed, you start getting pressure sores and things like that, which is not going to happen with our patients, but. Yeah, really important to get mobilised early. Very encouraging of that. How long will I need somebody to look after me? I think this one kind of came around, especially because Liv was saying that um, one patient got picked up by a taxi from the hospital straight after surgery, which apparently is a no-no. Well, I I usually say to patients that you actually don't really need looking after because you'll be – independent in terms of you'll be able to get yourself in and out of bed, um, you'll be able to uh, you know, go to the bathroom on your own, things like having a shower at, the, at home for the first time, um, it's good to have someone, and again this is more so for the bigger surgeries like the body lift and the tummy tuck, it's good to have someone nearby just in case that's a time where you might feel a bit lightheaded or a bit faint if mm. the shower's a bit hot, um, but you're not going to need to be showered or actually like nursed at home because we're not expecting family members to actually be your nurses like if if you're needing that kind of care then you probably still should be in hospital um but being able to cook and clean for yourself and look after your kids independently um for those bigger surgeries you know certainly not in the first week we're not going to be encouraging that but yeah you need help around the home (laughs) but not actual looking after And why was it not okay that the woman was picked up by a taxi driver after surgery? It's it's generally just hospital policy. I guess they kind of think, well, if something happens to you while you're in the taxi, if it's a family member or someone that knows you, they're going to know what to do. Taxi driver, I'll probably just take you back to (laughs) where you came from, (laughs) drop you off. Service that we... um, uh, that are that are fantastic allies of ours called um, Pure You. And they... um, run that sort of a service so they um, can help pick up 
particularly for patients from interstate or from the country where they don't have close family nearby. Um, and well, very common for people with like a lot of small kids at home yeah. who are like they're not going to be able to not pick up, you know, the two or like the like one year old doesn't know enough to know mm. to not mm. crawl on mum or whatever. Yeah. So some of those patients go and stay in a in a hotel or in an apartment, and um, that can be coordinated, obviously on their own, but it can be coordinated as well through um, external companies that can help and mm. pick them up and drop them off and pop in and make sure they're doing okay. Get a nice lymphatic massage. <laughs> um, will drains have to stay in for a long time? Oh, oh the drain. <laughs> the drain. Dra- dreaded drainers. Draining <laughs> question, am I right? Oh, everyone hates a drain. <laughs> yeah, look, I think drains get a bit of a bad rap. Um, they're, they're doing a, a really important role, so if they're – if, if we determine they need to stay in, they're staying in. We're not doing it to punish you. We're, we're doing it because the, the, we need the fluid to come away. It's not only taking away the fluid, but it's also creating the pressure so those two surfaces stick together so that you don't form a seroma. Um, they're very, very thin. It's a soft silicon so they don't stick. Um, and I think people get, you know, and, and rightly get anxious about it, but I think the anxiety is due usually way in excess of of actual how inconvenient or painful they are um and you know you you often will hear you know patient oh you know it's it's so painful it's so painful and i know where the drain is running Mm. and where they're indicating the pain is not where the drain is running but but when the drain comes out the pain goes away so i think it's important not to get too sort of caught up in it I I, you know most people cope with it absolutely fine but you can work yourself up into a state over it, yeah. which is not a good idea. Yeah. And they're, they're a nuisance if you have to have them at yeah, home. But there are, sure. there's easy ways to, to manage that and carry them around. And, um, you know, some patients name them and they just get on with it <laughs> and they deal, deal with it. And, um, and, and taking them out here in the rooms is, is really not, not a big deal. Yeah, you? right. Maybe we need to have a competition, the best drain bag. Yeah, best yeah. drain name. Best drain name and yeah. best drain bag. What's the best drain bag? bag? Well, they they make a bag usually. Oh, out I see. Of to put the, the to put them in, to put carry the, them around. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. But right, often right. they'll. I've seen people draw on Gucci or. Yeah, That's the right. ward nurses actually oh. have the ones that have done that. The night nurses. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, some people are concerned about either like staying over, like having to stay overnight, especially mm-hmm. like if you haven't been in hospital before. Creepy little place. Yeah. My own <laughs> editorial there. Not really. Um, or like not being able to stay long enough. Mm. You know, they think that they like need extra nights there. How do you kind of address those concerns? Well, we, we have a standard um, length of stay per surgery. So um, breast augmentation would go home on the day. Breast reduction would stay one night. Uh, tummy tuck two nights and tummy tuck combined with any breast surgery, usually two nights still. Um, and lower body lift generally three nights. And the vast majority of patients, those time frames are absolutely suitable. So if, if we're recommending that, that's what we think you need. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's medical reasons, say if someone's got excessive pain or excessive nausea, Um, or is genuinely struggling to be getting themselves in and out of bed, then we would, you know, recommend keeping them in hospital for a bit longer. Um, We think that those are the right timeframes because the longer you stay in hospital when you don't need to, (laughs) the more problems that are likely to arise, 
most people are more comfortable in their own homes, um, getting back into routine, uh, all those sort of things. So um, there's, there's occasion, and, and particularly last year when there was some restrictions on that we did some uh, smaller breast reductions as day surgery cases. Um, the, those patients coped extremely well, but, you know, stay in hospital one night. And, and the hospitals we were working at are lovely. And, and, and generally the comment would be the next day, like, oh, I didn't really want to stay, but, you know, can I stay another night? It's not... And, and, and other things, that j- just on that, is um, be prepared because your home environment is your home environment and that is not changing the day you're going home from hospital. So yeah. when someone's when I'm seeing them the next day to be like, okay, so you're all good to go home. Oh, well, I've got a really big dog. And I'm like, did you just get that today? <laughs> like, you got a German yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you had that last week. So yeah, just right. factor in those it's things. It's like baby-proofing, but it's like surgery-proofing. Yeah, yeah. stairs, um, you know, you're, you're not – unless you go and stay in a hotel for a week, yeah. you've got stairs in your house, you've got stairs in your house. Yeah. Um, most of the hospitals actually have a handful of stairs so that you can – Practice. You know, practice going on them just so that you feel confident yeah. in front of the nurses or the physio before you go home. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really much of a surprise. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Um, does it matter if they have their period during surgery? I can't remember the last time I've operated on someone without having their period. <laughs> um, the anxiety or something just seems to bring it on. So there are some surgeons who won't operate if, um, if right? you're on your period. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but yeah, not me. <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, yeah, if if I was if I had that rule, um, I'd have a lot of empty that is lists. The worst. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't know they they think there's increased bleeding or increased clotting risk. I can't I can't actually remember, but um, very very common occurrence mm. um, would ha- I would guess well over fifty percent of my patients, and it's not it's not a big deal. The one thing I caveat. Mm. I would say is you can't leave a tampon in if you're having surgery. So there's a serious infection that you can get if a tampon is left in for too long, and the potential is you have you have a surgery, you know you're sort of a bit drowsy, you forget that you've got a tampon in, and it doesn't get changed. You can get this thing called toxic shock syndrome, which is kind of as bad as it sounds. So we actually had that the other day, and no one actually had picked it up. So. So the patient had the no, they the just had a tampon. Oh, <laughs> so we do that. I was oh. like, no, no, that I would have told you about. Else yeah. Um, yeah, my friend who's a paramedic, because they were asking like if you're in a car accident. Yeah. And they're like, how do they? And then it's like, you have to check. Like, yeah. That's a part yeah, of like, and the person's comatose or whatever. If someone's comatose, they usually have a catheter tube put yeah. in. So you would you would generally yeah. um, hmm. see, yeah. see that. Good question, though. Thanks. Wasn't. From the crowdsourcing, can they wear nail polish during surgery? Ooh. A bizarrely common question. Uh, very common question, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It it used to be when, you know, the hospitals. The hospitals probably still have some policies about a lot of these things that are historical and no good reason. Um, it, it's about being able to measure the. Um, amount of oxygen in the blood which is done by a machine that goes on the finger but pretty much every nail polish and um and even fake nails i think they can read it through read through that and if they can't then there's toe probes and air probes and there's yeah, other ways right, to, okay. to do that like don't go and get your nails done specifically because you're going to mm. have surgery but if that's how you live your life same thing with eyelashes i don't know if that was going to be your next question no but, it wasn't but um uh oh, probably five years ago i think it was a really rare thing for mm. patients to have um 
eyelash extensions. Eyelash extensions. And so it was a big thing, like being really, really cautious Mm. when you're asleep because your eyes get taped to keep them closed while you're under anaesthetic. Um, Now, like your period thing, there would be more than half of our patients, probably Mm. 80%, that would come with like false eyelashes or eyelash extensions. I saw a girl on TikTok and she'd been... Again, I think in like a, some kind of trauma, in like accident thing, and she woke up and all of her eyelashes were gone. And all mm. the comments on it were like, "What happened to your eyelashes?" She was like, <laughs> "I don't know," because she, you know, that like how English people have it like fully, Massive like ones. very thick. And she was like, "I don't know," because they were like, "Did they get a technician in?" <laughs> They, they saved my life but <laughs> ruined my eyelashes. Because, <laughs> like, they hurt so much to, like, take out. They were like, oh. they're like, how did they? So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, because during an, a long operation, mm. you have to cover the eyes because if, if, the, if the eyes inadvertently were open for the length of operations that we dry do, mm. they dry and get corneal ulcerations. Right. Um, and so um, the, the anaesthetists actually do tape them shut mm. And if they've got eyelash extensions on, then they take extra precautions. But they'd always warn people that yeah, they yeah. might lose an eyelash or two. Yeah, but there, yeah. there's special tapes now that are designed specifically <laughs> yeah, right. for that purpose. Whereas before it used to just be like... Masking just put some, yeah. <laughs> some duct tape. Similar. <laughs> Not quite so sticky, but yeah. Um, uh, one that I think... I mean, whatever, I think it is always kind of been a question, but especially after we did um, quite a lot of petitioning about people who uh, should get be on the MBS for postpartum muscle separation mm. or just like, you know, muscle separation that wasn't related to weight loss. I think a very common question that came after that uh, was about Medicare paying for all of it, the surgery. Mm. Um, and so I think a, we had big surge people who wanted to book in because they suddenly thought it would be yeah. free. Yeah. How do we address that concern? Yeah, well, unfortunately, Medicare, uh, the the rebate that you get from Medicare and health funds hasn't changed in about 20 years. And so 20 years ago or more, Mm, um, it it, it was actually a reasonable payment. And so you often read in the newspapers about out-of-pocket amounts and things like that and that, you know, it's kind of – something that's happened more in the last 10 to 20 years. But the reason for it is that 20, 30 years ago when Medicare, or 50 years ago I think Medicare started, the um, the rebate was commensurate with the work that you're doing. Right. But you know, you know, all of our expenses have gone up yeah. and the Medicare rebate has uh, stayed stable. So, uh, so that's why um, it doesn't cover the the fee. It what it still covers with your health fund really is the hospital stay. Right. Um, so depending on what cover you've got, often people have a co-payment that they've got to pay once per annum. Um, but then, no matter how long you're in hospital, then that that's covered. So it'd probably be more accurate to refer to it as hospital insurance rather than right, health right. insurance, right. because it is a bit misleading. Yeah, and and when you do actually get your policy, it does say hospital insurance and extras. Right. Um, and like, if you've got extras, that's not covering anything. Yeah, you have right. to have hospital cover, but also an operation that is medically necessary, which then attracts a Medicare item number. So it yeah. it's, it's it is quite confusing. But if if there are people listening or watching who are thinking about getting private health insurance and they know what surgery they want, um, we might just pop in the notes below 
uh, which, what item numbers relate to what surgery. Because yeah, so you can look well, at Well, yeah, because I think all the health funds now, are, you can have gold, silver or bronze cover. Yeah. Um, and so you just need to make sure that whatever cover you choose, that the item number relating to the operation that you want to have is covered by the level of insurance that you have. So you don't want to – because if you, say, have silver – and it doesn't cover tummy tuck, and you wait out the 12 months, and you go, oh, I need gold. You, um, have, to wait you have to wait another 12 months. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll pop that in the show notes. We will. Hmm. Um, okay, is the scarring going to be really noticeable? I think it's a very common concern. Well, um, whenever we cut the skin, we, we make a scar. Um, so there's no way around that. So we do our best to conceal the scars so that they're, say, for a tummy tuck or body lift, they're covered by your underwear or bathers. Um, breast scars are obviously generally covered if you're wearing a bra or bikini. Um, um, arm scars we try and place in a position where they're l- as least visible as possible. But n- th- people often say, well, the scar go away. It definitely won't go away. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do to try and get the best possible scar. So placing it in the right position, orientating it in the, in the best possible way, in terms of the skin relaxation lines, um, taking tension off the skin. So there are deep sutures that we do to do that. Um, then a little bit of it is the post-op care, so the, the taping and silicon that we do and the laser. But unfortunately, a component of it is you know how someone actually scars. Um, so some people just naturally make unbelievable scars anywhere on their body. Um, some people make terrible scars. But... Most scars, you, know, you, you need to give them a good 12 months to fully mature um, and most of them will improve. If you do end up with a scar that is less than ideal, then there are strategies to help improve them. Will I ever be able to breastfeed after surgery? Uh, that depends on what operation you're having. Um, Tummy tuck for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily yeah, for too. sure, but <laughs> that, that operation is not going to change that. So um, certainly we would discuss with you individually your you know the likely risk for you um, there are operations for example like breast augmentation where it's extremely unlikely that your ability to breastfeed is going to be in, interfered with um, however if you're 20 and you've never had a child you have a breast augmentation you have a child in your 30s and you can't breastfeed it, we don't know if it's because you never could have breastfed anyway or it is less likely to be because of the fact that you've got implants. Um, Breast reduction uh, almost certainly reduces the ability to breastfeed to a degree. And that depends on if you're having a pretty small breast reduction where your nipple's not having to be moved very far um, or, you know, more of a a breast lift or a small breast reduction, then your ability to breastfeed um, is likely to be maintained. And so then just extrapolate that to... The more tissue that's removed, the more your nipple has to be moved um, to the extreme of if you need to have a free nipple graft. So if you haven't listened to our episode on um, breast reduction, uh, we talk about free nipple grafts, which is basically the nipple is removed and stitched back on. And some people think that's what happens in a breast reduction all the time anyway. Um, that's not the case. But um, in, if, if we discuss with you that you need that technique for your breast reduction, there is 100% chance you will not be able to breastfeed because the, the ducts and everything are all completely disconnected. 
you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.